Bible reading today comes from Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 20 and 6, chapter 6, 7 to 12. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a a grievous evil under the sun, whether hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so do they. So they depart. They have take. They take nothing from their toil. They ca- they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since their toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good. This is appropriate. That is appropriate. That is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, the God gives someone wealth and possessions and their ability to enjoy them, to accept, accept their lot and be happy in their toil. This is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. And what advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eyes see than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind, whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is being known, no one can count, contend. With someone who is stronger, the more the words, the less the meaning, and how does that profit anyone? For who, know, for who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through the light shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? So this morning uh, uh, we have a, a guest speaker and by now you should know that that's my dad and I just, um, last time dad was here we spent some time to, well last time he was preaching, spent some time to interview him and share his story and so I'm not going to do all that this morning because um, I just want to give him the time to, to speak but I, I do just want to honour uh, both my mum and dad and uh, they've been um, followers of Jesus for quite some time and, and, and I've been a follower of Jesus for quite some time and um, in, in all my travels and ministry, I just want to say I've not met uh, a man or a woman who more, f- more faithfully and passionately live out faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I can preach okay, um, and, and, um, but, but, you know, in terms of that faithfulness and that living out uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, um, I ask God for a double portion, but, but hope that I become half the faithful follower of Jesus that they are at least. And so um, I, I want to welcome Dad up here uh, and we'll pray for Dad and then we'll um, invite him to, to share God's Word this morning. We'll make sure you turned on. 
So I thank you, Heavenly Father, for my father and for my mother who's here with us this morning as well. And, and so we uh, thank you uh, for all the godly examples of faith that you've given us. And I thank you especially this morning for this man. Um, I pray uh, that your word would flow through him, uh, that uh, your Holy Spirit, as yeah, is so evidently present here this morning, would, would take the words that, that Dad says um, and make them spirit and life in our hearts. And as he's touching on meaning or lack thereof and, and where we find meaning this morning, I pray that we'd all be renewed or perhaps for the first time would find fullness of meaning in the love of Jesus Christ. And so we pray in Jesus' name for this moment we step into now. And we pray for, for, for Dad, for Ron, uh, as he shares your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, well, I won't comment on what Nick said, but anyway, thank you, Steve, for, for your welcome and, and uh, another folk that we've uh, got to know in the period that Nick's been down here. You know, your warm welcome each time we, you know, we come down to see Nick and Christy and the, and the boys to visit them. Well, if it's over a Sunday, we, we end up here, so uh, always thank you for your welcome. Um, I want to thank Carl, too, and, and the music team for... For the, for the worship this morning. You know, as I just um, come down with Nick there earlier and uh, just sat there, they, uh, listening to go through their practice, I thought this, these songs just encapsulate what I want to share with you this morning. So just a sign that, yeah, God's anointing upon it. And uh, Nick did ask me uh, when we were holidaying together um, about a month ago, up at Swansea, if I might share, when we came down to for this time while Christy's away, and uh, and th- <coughs> this message is what God popped in my mind at the time. So <laughs> over to you, God. <laughs> Just hopefully I don't muck it up. But anyhow, as we heard from a reading from Ecclesiastics, there I don't know the last time that you read uh, through Ecclesiastics, but it's. Uh, it's not the up to, most uplifting of reads. Uh, but I've done this um, earlier this year. I, I uh, read through Ecclesiastics there with a company with some, uh, some notes, some Bible notes wrote by a, uh, a person there. And, uh, and I'd just uh, like to, to read uh, those uh, notes that this person wrote by way of introduction into Ecclesiastics. Everything is meaningless. We see this at the, in verse 1, 2 and in verse 12, 8. And it says, Why would a piece of writing that is bookended by such a cynical outlook of meaningless, is re, you know, which is repeated some 35 times in the book of Ecclesiastics, be included in the Bible? And the Bible being whose purpose is to offer good news of joy, hope and meaning. Ecclesiastic is the record of a searching for meaning, not in an organised, systematic, textbook style, but more like a personal journal tending towards repetitious ramblings and musings. However, everything is meaningless is not the final conclusion. It's merely a hypothesis. 
the crucial qualifier under the sun, which uh, occurs 29 times, recurring 29 times through the book, single signals that the hypothesis only holds within the earthbound horizons. The teacher, either Solomon or one who dons the mantle of Solomon, draws on Solomon's experience of wisdom, pleasure and achievements and uses them as the core of his curriculum. He observes, examines and explores each of these potential avenues for meaning, then demonstrates how each leads to a dead end. Life under the sun is life apart from God, which the teacher rightly concludes is meaningless. The Hebrew words used, you know, which trying to translate it into the English, it says that the Hebrew word suggests futility, absurdity, lacking substance or, or meaningless. This does this despair is symptomatic of our need for God, in whom alone we find ultimate meaning. Ecclesiastics pronounces this bad news and paves the way for the good news, but stops short of proclaiming it. For while the book contains glim brief glimmers, dripping of grace, in the words of, of C.S. Lewis, pointing to life above and beyond the sun, the fullness of grace and truth must await the coming of Jesus. So it borrows, identifies the problem, says, it, you know, this is what it is. But, you know, uh, we need to read the rest of the Bible to, uh, to get the fullness of the God's answer to the problem. Probably uh, one of the best known sections from Ecclesiastic is chapter 3 where it says, there is a time for everything. Your immediate thoughts might be, you must be joking, or you must be lying, one or the other. I always seem to be busy, running out of time to do things. We live in a society in Australia that has more time-saving devices than any previous generation, yet we have less time. In verses 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, there, Ecclesiastes says about this time, time issue. You know, it's a bit of a reality check there in verses 1 and 2. It says, a time to be born and a time to die. As though there is a time to be born and a time to die. That you are sitting here this morning confirms to me that the first of these these events has happened in your life. And I certainly hope and pray that the second event is not, not very near in the future, that it's some way off. But I also say it will happen. That second event will happen. You know, there is a, point, you know, a time to be born and a time to die. And the Bible tells us that we will have to give an account before God of how we have responded to Jesus between these two events. That's the time we have to respond to Jesus. And God wants us to respond rightly to him and, and install him as our Lord and Saviour. 
because he's provided that for us and that's what he wants. He went, paid a great cost to do that, to, to come about. But still it's our responsibility to make that decision for Jesus. I'm just going to use uh, some illustrations of a, a youth camp I went to uh, at um, Chaffee Dam. It's a water dam up near um, where we live. And there's a camp that's been running for some 30 years and I'm uh, still going to it in a reduced capacity and so just looking after the sailing boats there. But this uh, one that was ha had earlier this year in early January was the biggest one they've ever had. There was some um, 180 youth, high school age youth at it and some 75 plus leaders. So it was a big camp. And um, anyhow, it was interesting experience to sit in the kitchen of a, you know, the camp kitchen of a morning and watch as people came through with probably a dozen different devices to brew up their morning fix as I say it, or to just their, their morning thing, they th decided, I just need this to get through the day. I'm not denying it being great to have a nice cup of coffee or tea or whatever is your thing that gets you started of a morning. Amen. <laughs> but are we in a good place spiritually if we can't survive without it? You know, I'm not putting it down to you know, have a nice cup of coffee, but are we in a good place if we can't do without it? Another phrase the writer of Ecclesiastes uses is chasing after the wind. More or less, that's more or less depicted as a futile exercise. Has anyone here ever caught the wind? <laughs> the wind catches you, doesn't it? But... To catch the wind, it just, you know, when you're knocked up, if you're running with the wind, you might be able to, if the wind's not too strong, you might be able to run at the same pace of the wind and say, well, I've caught the wind. But I'd be assured, you're going to knock up before the wind does, you know. You know. It's a futile exercise. We have all these time-saving devices to experience the things we love, experience them more often, so we don't have any time to spare. We heard read in verse five, there, uh, verse ten of chapter five. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. I remember a while back somebody was, um, commented on, on uh, asking about somebody asked, um, oh, one of those. His name escaped him, one of those wealthier Americans there. When, you know, when do you think would be a, enough money? When would you have enough? What is enough money? And this person commented, just a little bit more than me. As though he, this was a multi rich guy, but he still thought he never had enough. It just a little bit more was required. But this wanting a little bit more, could this be true of all things? Or could it be true of the things we love most? We can never get enough. I just want a little bit more. I want it again or I just need it. Out of this uh, camp I referred to earlier, I was holding 
onto a catamaran uh, with these two girls while they waited for their friend to come, come along. And I asked, you know, just while waiting there, I asked how the camp was going for them. And virtually the immediate first comment was they expressed a discontent with having to wait for their turn behind the powerboat. You know, because all these kids, we had four powerboats and they were big powerboats and they took a number of time, but she was discontent because she had to wait for her turn to come. Uh, and I just, well, a bit flippantly said, uh, do you think we should have a boat for each camper so, uh, so there'd be no waiting, you'd be able to do the thing you love all the time? And would you be prepared to pay the cost for this to happen? Or do you think somebody else should pay the cost for you to enjoy the thing you love all the time? I can't recall whether she responded or she was just... uh, didn't like my response to her. (laughs) But I think her friend turned up soon after and they went off sailing. But it brings out the... The point, the things we love, we want more often to do them more regularly all the time. Is this good for us? Verse 7 of chapter 6 says, Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Pretty confronting words, isn't it? The, you know, the material thing. Will we ever be satisfied? Can we ever get enough? Or will we still want more? For many of us, the good life is defined by an abundance of stuff. Jim Carrey, that well-known actor, is recorded as saying... I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I think the the writer of Ecclesiastes would agree with him. But he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Not the answer to what? Is Jim Carrey saying it? What was he saying? Well, the, the comment doesn't say what he said it wasn't the answer to, but I, I believe, well, mine too, it's not the answer to a m- meaningful, fulfilled life. You can have all this stuff, do all these things, but still, my life is not meaningful. It's not fruitful. And I believe this statement is more far profound coming from Jim Carrey because... As I understand, Jim Carrey's not a Christian. Because, um, and I, I make this assumption by other quotes I come across of, Chris, of Jim Carrey, where he, does, uh, he um, doesn't believe in hell, or he's not believing in hell, saying, Jim Carrey says, hell to him is to listen to your grandparents eat sandwiches while breathing through their nose. That's his interpretation of hell. So that's not the hell that the Bible talks about. You know? so, uh, so therefore I make the assumption that he's not a Christian. So therefore, but he could still make this 
this statement, not being a Christian, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer, not the answer to having a fulfilled, fruitful, meaningful life. But don't hear me say that it's bad to do the things we love. I don't want you to get that impression. Because it's not. But we have, you know, these things we love themselves are not bad. But it's our attachment to that then that can be bad. The way we are attached to them. We need to be careful it doesn't become an addiction leading to a bondage in our life, the things we love. There's nothing wrong with loving and enjoying them as much as we like. You know, you know it'll be coffee or whatever. I think one of my greatest loves is, is a roast lamb, baked potatoes and that. Yeah, I love it. But, uh, but we've got to be careful that, you know, things we love don't become a a bondage, you know, become addicted to it and a bondage in our life. You know, and become discontent when not doing it. Um, it is said of Lucifer, you know, the, one of the three angels created by God, most beautiful angels, says Lucifer was created as one of the most beautiful angels but grew discontent with his loss, with his lot and rebelled, and we know what ended up there. It didn't have a good ending. You probably know Jesus' words that John recorded in chapter 10, verse 10 of his gospel. Let me just um, refresh you with them, where Jesus said, the thief, which is the devil or Satan, or whatever name you want to give to him, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Well, I suppose steal, kill and destroy you and rob you of a fruitful, meaningful life. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Well, that's abundant, fruitful, meaningful life. That's what Jesus come for. What is life to the full? As I've said, it's abundant, a meaningful life. I believe it's a life walking in the will of our Heavenly Father. And this most likely will include some of those things we love doing. That's part of it. Those material things, you know. We don't you know, despise the material and say, I'm not going to touch that again. Or then, Yeah, walking in the will of God. Or, you know, he's gracious. The things of this world are there to be participate in and enjoy but not to be our greatest love and our greatest enjoyment. That is reserved to be him. But if Jesus is our greatest love and walking in his will will be our greatest desire. Just um, to read... Uh, the last three verses there of uh, chapter 5 from Ecclesiastes says, This is what I observe to be good. This is 
that it is appropriate for a person to eat, drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Well, a lot could be said about those three verses, but you know, someone could be thinking, well, I haven't got many possessions and my lot in life is pretty tough. How can I be happy in my toil? When I'm looking at others and going, well, it's easy for them. They've got a lot of stuff, but I haven't got much. I see there can be a danger there where we're looking at the material things, looking at the gifts. Somebody might be having that material gifts instead of looking at the giver. Looking at the giver. God's the giver. What he's blessed my life with, well, it's my responsibility to, to give, oh, you'll get, I have to give an account how I've used those things he's, he's um, given me uh, stewardship over. So um, I think that's uh, in things we need to look, not at the gifts, but at the giver of gifts and, uh, and to... Uh, and if we are doing it tough... Our lot's tough. Well, it's not wrong to come and ask God for a change in circumstances. You know, know, the great apostle Paul, he come and petitioned God three times in that famous passage there in Corinthians to take away this thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, a change of circumstances. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. But the place there, Paul states that profound statement where he states he's learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. He said, I know what it's like to have, have lots of stuff. I know what it's like to be pretty skint. But I've learned the secret of being content no matter what my circumstances. What is the secret? I believe the secret is knowing that God is sovereign over all and he, even though I'm whatever circumstance I'm in, he's still Lord and sovereign. And he's, his grace is sufficient for me there or he'll lead me out or I look to him for guidance. God's still in heaven in control. And if I focus on him, he is to be the focus, not on, you know, not we deny, you know, it's tough, but the circumstances we're going through. As Paul recorded also in, in his letter to Timothy, he says... That, um, about godliness with you know, great gain. You know, contentment, contentment with godliness is great gain. So it's a great gain if you have contentment with godliness. And that other challenging verse from Romans there, Paul's letter to the Romans, said God works for the good in all things for those who love him. So if we have a love for God, you say, well... I love for what you've done for me through Jesus. I just love that so much. It's tough, but I know even this tough stuff, you can work good out of it. 
And uh, so if we're feeling discon- you know, discontentment with our lot in life, we need to press into God, seeking his will for our life. The 23rd Psalm is probably the, the best known among the Psalms. But uh, David acknowledged in, in that that, it's, that God's his shepherd, the one who guides and leads him. And he talks about him going through green pastures and quiet waters and, and um, they're in about restoring his soul and, and guiding him in paths of righteousness for his namesake as though God will direct my life. And then there's a turn comes in the psalm when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that was, I don't know, but it doesn't sound like a picnic, you know, whatever it is, it sounds a pretty tough spot. You know, and uh, even in this difficult situation, David says, I will feel, fear no evil, for your rod and your staff comfort me. Even in this difficult situation, he said, well, God's there. I acknowledge that your, your uh, protection and cover's there. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Was he at the coffee machine there and held his button on the, on the button too long and his cup overflowed? We know that's ludicrous. But what did he mean by saying, my cup overflows? I believe he's referring to the goodness, the knowledge of the goodness and love of God for him in spite of the circumstances, his cup was just overflowing, you know. So I'm in this tough spot, but God's just so present with me. And I know that, you know, and this, as the psalm finishes up, he says, you know, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in your house forever. That's why I, th- I believe that's what his cup was full of because he's, well, that's what he finishes up. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in your house forever. Was David always in this state of having a full cup? I don't think so. As we read some other psalms there, you know, that it seems that like his cup was uh, quite low at times, I think, you know. And uh, just, uh, just, to re- just to refer briefly to Psalm 42 there, where he... Uh, says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. It doesn't give you the you know, that his cup's full there, does it? But verse uh, 5, we read, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. I put it to you, his cup was a bit empty there at that stage, but he knew where to get it filled. He knew where the filling station was. So if our cup's a bit empty, do we know where the filling station is? Where to get our cup filled? It's not to feel bad if we're feeling down. You know, that uh, our Lord and Saviour, you know, shortly before he, he paid the price for our sins, you know, there he says, Jesus said, 
in uh, John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. But here, our Lord and Saviour, in his humanness, he says, my soul is troubled. So, not to feel bad on ourselves if we are, feel our cup's empty, but to know where the filling station is. Because on the night there before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. We know Jesus drained that cup completely, drained the dregs of the wrath of God for our benefit so we can come in faith to our loving Heavenly Father in confidence and ask him, you know, our cup to be filled. You know, our cup to be filled with the knowledge of his goodness and love for us. You know, in spite of the circumstances we may be going through. There was a song that used to go around many years ago um, and it starts out like this. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that would not satisfy. Then I heard the Lord speaking, draw from my well that never runs dry. Echoes those words of Jesus, if you're thirsty and dry, come to me and I'll give you living water that you'll never thirst again. But then that song goes on. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting on my soul. Is God able to do it? Yes. If we come to him and we allow him and let him. Well, it's not that we give up the love of those things we love, the material things. It's just that Jesus becomes our greatest love. In the words of Tim Kelleher in his book, Making Sense of God, he says, the solution is not the love of things, not we love the things, material things less, but to love God more. And also he says, the reason... Even the best possible worldly goods will not satisfy is because we were created for a degree and delight and fulfilment that cannot that, that they cannot produce. And this is sadly, hopefully Jim Carrey comes to know this, but he had all those material things, but yet it wasn't bringing satisfaction in his life. We created that only it can be satisfied when we're connected to God and and relations with him. As I said, not that we give up enjoying the material things of life, but we have a right attitude to them. So the truly rich are those who have acknowledged their poverty of spirit and experienced life in Jesus. Yes, life's good and meaningful when we embrace, employ and enjoy the gifts of life while gratefully recognising the giver. 
just want to finish with one last anecdote from uh, this camp I went to earlier this year. Um, I was just saying, I, I just go now to help with the, the sailing, keep the sailing boats running and, uh, and uh, four days of activity. Morning, there's a morning activity and afternoon activity there and, uh, and so there, because it was early January it was held and the great emphasis on sunscreen so you don't get burnt and so like, and so I, top priority, you know, <laughs> face and nose and, and, uh, and my arms there and, and even though I had a full length rashy on and tried to wear a hat when I could but, you know, morning we go down in the afternoon, go down. Friday morning comes, I'm just, just there putting the sunscreen on and I, I felt this urge, put sunscreen on your legs. And I thought, I'd never done that. Anyhow, I put the sunscreen on my legs and anyway, we went down to the morning activity and we're down there and, well, well I think there's, well, we have seven sailing boats, uh, catamarans and a number of canoes and one of them great big blobs with, with a pillow and a one of these lily pads they call it and another donut round thing and the kids just go out with life jackets on them and they're out there and about and they're told not to go out too far without a life jacket or if they go in a canoe or a sailing craft they've got to have a life jacket on and anyhow the, um, another leader there had a, a canoe he said it was just kept for leaders and I thought oh I'll just go for a bit of canoe out there and check things out and, and I get out into the dam quite a bit there and I find these... Um, there's one guy without a life jacket on. I said, what are you doing way out here without a life jacket? And he said, oh, I'm a good swimmer. You come from Port Macquarie. And I said, yeah, but what if you get a cramp? Oh, he said, I hadn't thought that. And he goes, oh, he said, me and my mate made a pact to swim to the other side of the dam. He said, can we t- still do it? And I thought, oh. I said, oh, okay. But I said, I can't go back because we have a duty of care. You might be a good swimmer, but... We have a duty of care. If I go back and you have a, get a cramp and, and you know, drown, well, I'm accountable because I knew, uh, you know, before I was ignorant of that, but now I know. And then I said, oh, well, okay, I'll stay out there with you. So they start having then oh, we have a little tinny that runs around and checks on people and they, they um, blokes come up and they said, what's happening? And I told them what's happened. I said, you get back in the tinny and go back. And anyhow, I said, right, oh. So anyhow, instead of going on too long, they swam to the other side, let us swim, and then come back. Well, it took about an hour and a half, and uh, I was lying out in a canoe. And it wasn't until I reflected back later on that, I put sunscreen on my legs that morning. And I never even thought about that when I was, went out canoeing on any, but I was just going out for a quick canoe. But life is, is meaningful. Even putting sunscreen on your legs can be meaningful in the providence of God. I got no other explanation that God prompted me to, to put the sunscreen on my legs because, you know, that morning when I went out. So, you know, life is meaningful. Even those little things in life, God knows about. I say that to encourage you. you know. Life is never meaningless for the Christian who loves God. You know, as I said, even putting sunscreen on can be meaningful. And I believe the more we comprehend and appreciate the love of God, the love that God has for us, the more meaningful our life will be. And I'd just like to, to um, finish up with reading uh, part of um, Paul's prayer there in Ephesians there. Where he, you know, Ephesians, 
you know, it could be a, a wider circular letter that went to many other churches beside Ephesians. And this was Paul's prayer. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Father God, we thank you, you are a loving God and I do pray that we all would come to know you, that love that you have for us in a deeper and greater way that uh, we thank you've drawn us into a meaningful life with you. And Lord, as we grow in that knowledge of our love, that our lives will become more meaningful. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love you to become a part of the Aspaptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.